Hi everyone and welcome to the second episode in Marketing Week's This Much I Learned podcast series exploring careers amid COVID-19 and beyond. I'm Charlotte Rogers, Acting Features Editor at Marketing Week and to set the scene, marketers may be thinking about what their career trajectory will look like post-lockdown amid furloughs, recruitment freezes and potential redundancies as recession looms. In this series, we'll be speaking to people in the marketing industry whose careers have taken different paths whether because of sabbaticals, redundancies, different opportunities coming along. Our guest today is Alex Dimitsiani. Alex is former Global Marketing Director at Airbnb and Global Creative Director at Coca-Cola. She has worked both agency and brand side, worked across Africa, Europe and the US, as well as holding a Master's in Investigative Journalism. It's fair to say she will have a lot to discuss on making bold career moves. Welcome, Alex. Um, I wonder if you could kick off by kind of talking us through your sort of ladder career um, approach and how you've navigated your career to date by embracing risk um, and kind of seeing the value in taking a path less traveled. Thank you for having me, Charlotte. Um, I'm thrilled to talk about this subject and I think that this is a really relevant moment in time for us to explore it. Um, Listen, personally, I've I've always been driven by this awe of our world. I'm driven by its magnitude and its richness, its variety and connectedness. So I've spent a lifetime seeking exposure to and engagement with these phenomenal properties of the world. And that's really been my primary motivation to take to take many a road less traveled. But also, I think I was really lucky to realize a few things um, early on in my career. And the first of these is that it's awfully hard to think laterally if you've had a linear life journey. Um, you know, I believe wholeheartedly that incredible innovation is most often born when taking lessons and approaches native to one area and applying them to another. And I think that realization gave me permission to gain a broad set of experiences rather than remain solely focused on going deep in one area. Um, but also, I recognize that just like with a brand, to gain a competitive advantage and to stand out in the marketplace, you need to differentiate yourself, ideally by bringing different but valued, valuable uh, experience to the table. And I understood that if I did take the same road everyone else was on, then it would be more difficult to distinguish myself from the crowd. You know, I I often laugh that I'm sure I've been in interview processes with, you know, a sea of, of candidates and and perhaps the reason that ultimately they came back to me or offered me the role was, you know, I was that woman who was in Central Africa selling condoms once upon a time. You know, there was something that really sort of helped me stand out from, from the crowd. So I think quite early on, I was lucky enough to understand that if I wanted to achieve anything significant in my life, I would need to embrace more risk in my decision-making than, frankly, I'd been prepared for. And then what I noticed is that as I more frequently made these decisions, for which people mainly dubbed me mad, um, that reward was tremendous. Time after time, consistently, and it's true to this day, every time I make a decision, you know, the kind of decision that makes your stomach turn and your heart beat fast and your mouth go dry every time you think about it. When I take those risks, the reward I receive is always proportionate to, but actually exponentially greater than uh, the fear I suffered. I think that's so interesting. And I think your approach to risk is just, um, it's really inspiring to me. I mean, to to that point, you you know, you had... um, you walked away from positions at Coca-Cola, Airbnb, kind of brands that people, you know, dream to work for, highly aspirational, because you wanted to pursue a different route and you weren't scared to do that. Can you tell us a bit about making those decisions to kind of leave brands like that? 
It's a great question, Charlotte. I have to say, in fact, when I was leaving Coke, the question that was mainly posed to me is, was rather, how could you leave the second most recognized word in the world for this thing we've never heard of? Um, and I was joking back then, this is back in 2014, when Airbnb's, you know, effective on unaided awareness in Europe was virtually nil. Uh, kept saying, well, th my job is to make sure you've heard of it. So if you haven't in a couple of years, come back and talk to me. Um, but, you know, I guess ultimately, I didn't really feel I had anything to lose. I mean, other than the ability to financially support my family of four, which I'm joking about, but of course is a very real factor to take into consideration and has probably been the greatest source of anxiety and pressure for me when making significant life decisions. But ultimately, sort of in terms of um, me and my professional path, I felt that um, you know, Coca-Cola wasn't going to disappear from my CV when I left it. The experience I had wasn't going to be eradicated from my memory. Leaving wasn't going to take anything away from what I'd learned until then. But staying precluded me from learning a great deal more from a very different business, a very different kind of brand, um, and a workforce with a very different skill set. So part of the decision-making process centers on the question of what is there to lose? And then, of course, the other side of that is the flip side. What is there to gain? And, and for me, this really centers on growth, given who I am today, given where I am today, from which experience am I most likely going to grow? And frankly, it's most likely the most uncomfortable experience, you know, the one where you won't be the smartest person in the room, certainly not for a long while. And I think this is a risk that many are not willing to take to, um, you know, to give up comfort um, for this growth. But it is it's crucial um, because the risk of not being comfortable, not being expert um, and asking the dumb the, the, the dumb questions is indeed what drives the great reward of of tremendous growth. So essentially, it boils down quite simply to what is there to lose and what is there to gain. And I felt at each of these junctures that there was more to gain than there was to lose from the move. I mean, I think that's, again, an amazing attitude to have. And that kind of plays into back to the present day, where um, obviously we're in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, and I'm right in thinking that... Um, back in January, you moved back to the UK to embark on the next phase of your career. And that was just as the pandemic was basically about to, to take hold. So kind of how are you reacting to current, um, current climate? <laughs> well, well, um, so look, first and foremost, it goes without saying that there is so much to be, um, to be upset about as it concerns the, the COVID-19 crisis, the loss of human life, uh, you know, being the greatest. I can't even attempt in this moment to enumerate all of the sources of concern um, or, or human grief. But I would say for me, one of the great early concerns with respect to this illness was um, that this fear of the unknown and this unseen disease would exacerbate the scarcity mentality to which I, I feel our society is greatly and noxiously tethered. And I say noxious um, because we know the sense of scarcity with fear at its very base erodes our ability to make um, logical sound decisions and decisions that yield long-term benefits. And for example, we've seen this in study after study on poverty's effects um, on decision-making. Um, and we did see early signs of this heightened scarcity mentality and playing out in a very obvious way. I need only remind you of the not so long ago photos of empty toilet paper shelves in grocery stores. Uh, so, of course, you know, fear uses this reptilian part of our brain, which is great for basic survival, for figuring out the fight or flight thing, but it's really unfit for creative thinking. Um, so my initial concern was for, 
was really for the collective, um, because when confronted with an unprecedented crisis like this, unprecedented creativity is required to overcome it and forge a new path forward. And the scarcity mentality really uh, eliminates our ability to do so. And then obviously I had concerns for myself personally. Um, I, I was concerned for my ability to provide for my family because I made this decision to embark on a completely new adventure without that adventure having been uh, scripted in the slightest or even frankly sketched out mere moments before the world changed um, completely. But in reality, and after the initial panic, what I'm seeing, at least in pockets of the population, and I do want to acknowledge that those are predominantly privileged pockets of the population for whom finances are not the predominant driving force. Um, what I'm seeing there is actually quite the opposite. I think there's almost this, um, there's this freedom in the awareness that everyone's been hit by this crisis and that it's kind of out of our hands. Uh, you know, we've been raised, particularly in Western capitalist societies, to believe that we are entirely responsible for the outcome of our lives, right? We get tremendous credit for every success, and we receive tremendous criticism, including self-criticism, for our failures. In fact, so much so that we unfairly ignore external influences and constraints, particularly for our disadvantaged and, and vulnerable communities where Again, we are ignoring that the playing field is systemically set against them. But what I'm seeing with this crisis is that people are giving themselves greater permission to take greater risks because there's simply less to lose and because they feel less personally responsible for what's been lost or what could be lost. So it's it's really interesting to see, uh, you know, this, this scarcity mentality, this heightened scarcity mentality, and then almost a sort of release from this scarcity mentality because this crisis is um, is not something that we as individuals can control and therefore the outcome, whether a positive or a negative impact on our lives is sort of out of our hands or we feel that it's out of our hands and therefore we feel that we have greater permission to take risks. This is so interesting what you're saying here about kind of that there's less to lose about embracing risk during the current crisis. Uh, and it kind of brings me to the point where um, I know that people have been reaching out to you for advice, in particular women, um, because there is this appetite and um, this latent appetite for risk. And it's almost like people kind of want to um, kind of have you as a sounding board and, and see what you think about almost giving them permission to take the risk. Um, could you tell me a bit more about kind of what people are saying to you when they reach out? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I don't know that they know that they want permission um, to take a risk. I think that the way these women see it when they're reaching out to me is that they're they're at a fork in the road and they know that I've had many forks in my road and that, you know, from their perspective, um, life looks like it's turning out quite well for me, I should say, from my perspective as well. Um, and so I think they see it more as that, you know, there's a big decision to be made. Uh, you know, I know of this woman who's had a lot of big decisions in front of her in life and, and she's made good decisions um, that have resulted in, you know, great achievements. What were the decisions she made? Why did she make those decisions? And how did she make those decisions? But when I look back and sort of think about what all of these women have in common. I, I do realize that there's this fundamental desire to, as you said, get permission to take a risk that others um, might not deem sensible. And it, it's a real reminder, uh, and, and I think actually a data point, of the vicious risk confidence cycle in which women in particular uh, are often trapped. So, you know, if you think back to our childhood, boys are rewarded for taking risks and girls are not, right? When boys engage in risky behavior, they're called brave. When girls engage in risky behavior, they're called irresponsible or even dangerous and selfish. 
right? Girls are trained to be dependable. Um, and furthermore, in our presumptive caretaking role, we're supposed to ensure that others don't take risks, right? So we're not allowed to take risks. We also have to ensure that others don't take um, uh, to take take risks. Um, and so we're essentially raised to, to have a lower risk threshold. And this has long lasting adverse effects on our lives and our livelihoods, because guess how we cultivate confidence by taking risks and learning from those risks and growing from those risks and achieving success, even though we took a risk. So ultimately this risk gap results in a growth gap, results in a confidence gap, results in a paid gap, and so, so many more. So it's not surprising really that women are looking to people who can allay some of that fear and give them a little bit more confidence to take that leap of faith that may ultimately reap so much reward. I mean, I'm nodding along as you're, as you're speaking there. It just resonates with me completely. Um, and I wanted to kind of sort of lastly ask you about, because there will be people listening to this, um, thinking what's next for them, particularly in this moment that we're in of so much uncertainty. And I wonder what advice you give about to people who are thinking about making a change. And, and you've talked very eloquently about the need for kind of creating an authentic narrative around your career that adds value both for yourself and also potential um, new employers. So what advice would you give? Yeah, well, so I'd say, um, you know, for starters, as with any authentic narrative, it's first and foremost about the actions that you take, right? So the decisions that you make and the actions that you take, and then that is what you tell. Um, that is the story that you tell in, in your narrative. So I would start with that. And, and for me, it's about starting with your why, you know, what kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of person do you want to be? And therefore, what kind of career do you want to nurture? Um, so, you know, just as in, in business, we really start with our objective, our why. And then, of course, it's about remaining curious and open. I, I'm actually not a surfer, but I do liken it to surfing, right? You go out to sea knowing you want to you want to catch a wave. You don't know where it's going to be and you don't know what it's going to look like, right? So you need to have some kind of destination in mind, but only insofar that it serves to move you in a direction. Then you need to be willing to paddle wherever it is that you see a great wave, you know, wherever wherever that wave is that looks promising um, and really recognize that that life is trial and error. And that is how we learn. So, you know, also casting off shame for what we mislabel as failure um, and instead really repositioning it in our own minds as the truth about growth, which is sometimes it hurts. In fact, mainly it does. It's, it's, it's at very least uncomfortable and at other times it's quite painful. Um, but again, it's incredibly rewarding. So <clears throat> then after we get to the sort of decision-making process and the actions that, that one takes, then I think it's, it really is about constructing that narrative in such a way as to help prospective employers and, and other people understand the why that drove you in the first place, explaining how you've achieved that objective so far and why joining this company in this role would further your personal and professional objective, and then how your unique experience and the bravery you demonstrated in choosing to acquire your unique experiences uniquely poises you to drive innovation and growth at the company while making a positive contribution to an increasingly valued, diverse culture. 
Oh, Alex, this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, and um, yeah, I just hope that everyone listening has enjoyed this latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learned podcast. And please do check out the next episode, which is coming soon. Um, you can also listen to our other podcasts, Marketing Week Explores and Marketing Week Meets on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. And also do check out our webinar series, The Lowdown via marketingweek.com. That just leaves me to thank Alex and you for listening. Thanks.